0: In that. If you have your Bibles, I, I want you to go ahead and open up to the book of Mark, chapter 15. And, and here's where we're going to find our, our message from the cross today. Um, beginning about verse 33 is where our text will, will take place. But before we get in there, I, I just wanted you to know that about 100 years ago, on an autumn evening, an earthquake startled villagers that were living along the seashore of Japan. And, and, and being accustomed to earthquakes in that region, the villagers, they, they kind of stopped for a moment, and then they went on with life again immediately, started back to their activities. But high up on the hills, on a plain area up there, there was a, a very wealthy farmer who was watching out over the sea from his house when that earthquake took place. And he looked to the sea, and the water appeared a little bit different. There was something unusual about it at that moment. And then he realized what was taking place. The water was moving now against the wind and, 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 and kind of away from the land and beginning to develop something different. And there's this thin little line that began to build and got bigger and bigger. And then he noticed that that water was moving in a tidal wave fashion towards the land. So he called his grandson and he asked him to bring him a torch and, and, and in the fields behind him lay his crop of rice that had, been, that had been already stacked up for market. And so he ran out and he began with the torch to set this fortune of rice on fire. And what it did was it, it got the people's attention down below along the seashore. And they saw what was happening. They thought, what is this crazy man doing up there? That, that can't. And so they are all running up the hill to go help him put out the fire of his, of his rice crop that was his harvest for that year. And as they got up there, they said, this doesn't make sense. I mean, where is the logic in all this action of burning your crops? And as they reached up there, he shouted back to them to look out to sea. And they could see on the horizon what was now taking place with the water as it was moving rapidly in to shore. And as the villagers ascended the hill, it was about that moment when the tidal wave struck and it destroyed all their homes. You see, we may not understand why people will do some of the things that they do. Setting fire to your rice, to your harvest, losing your fortune for, for that year, and, and who knows what else. That's got to be crazy. Why would he do something? But he did it because he was willing to save the people before him that were down in the, in the, the seashore. I mean, it's a case of you know, kind of an incomprehensible logic of why someone would do something. But another case, over 1,900 years ago, getting close to, to 2,000 years, on another hillside, another man also made a sacrifice. It saved countless lives as well. And his actions at the moment seemed to make no sense to people. It, it seemed illogical. But yet the Scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, but we see him who for a little while, was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. You see, Jesus tasted as the Son of God what all of us included will taste at some point, death. He entered what all men must enter, the grave. And he died literally, for everyone and anyone, for you and for me. But why? In that same chapter of Hebrews, chapter 2, beginning at verse 14 and 15, Eugene Peterson, I think he's made a really interesting translation the way he writes it here. And so he says this, he says, Since the children are made of flesh and blood, it's logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by His death. By embracing death, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. So in heaven's eyes, there is wisdom and there is logic in the illogical death that Jesus died on the cross. He died so that we might live. And that's kind of odd to think. Someone would die so others would live. Jesus, he didn't write a note about his willingness to go up and to do that and to sacrifice his life, but yet he paid the price with his own blood. Jesus did not just assume the blame for our sins. Our sins actually seized his body because he took them. So that we no longer have our sins because he bore them in his own body on the cross. I mean, in essence, he's like the general who died to save the private. Or the king who suffers death for the peasant that serves him. Or maybe the master who sacrifices for his servants. Or the wealthy rice farmer who gave up his vast fortune to the fire to save the villagers below. And I think as we look at the tidal wave of our sin and the cross, Jesus says gently you're why I went to the cross to save you. Jesus who is literally God's son, he experienced the torturous death on that cross so that we have the ability to know and to experience the splendor of life. The joy of living fully. So our text out of Mark chapter 15. We're going to look at verse 33-39. And then the sixth hour had come. There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now we're talking from noon to three. We're not talking a time of year either where there could have been an eclipse and the scripture really doesn't say what happened. All we know is that all of a sudden, from noon to three, the sixth to the ninth hour of the day, darkness happened, and Jesus is on the cross. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried in a loud voice, "Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani." But that cry was louder than just a normal scream. It was a scream of intensity. I mean, that's what the Scripture tells us. The word it uses is as if, if it's a word that's an abnormal, loud voice, it is screaming out with intensity. So Mark tells us what he screamed means this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders that were hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And and someone ran, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was a son of God. So upon that cross, the greatest sacrifice was taking place. The sins of the whole world were placed upon the shoulders of the only one who would be able to bring reconciliation and redemption to mankind. So I want us to look at the significance of that sacrifice at that moment. First off, it, we have to recognize it was a willing sacrifice. He went there willingly because he could have called 10,000 angels, He could have taken himself off that cross. But he willingly stayed there for our sacrifice. So I want to ask you a question. Has has anyone ever sacrificed for you? I mean, our parents and friends, maybe your employees or your teachers and coaches have sacrificed for you. But has anyone ever died for you? That's hard to answer, isn't it? Willie Lear, his name was Francis M. Lear, as it appears in the official records, he was an 18-year-old Confederate soldier or sympathizer. He wasn't a soldier. He was a sympathizer who lived up in Palmyra, Missouri, during the American Civil War. Like most of those in his neighborhood, uh, Willie sympathized with the South during the Civil War, and it divided a lot of people here in Missouri. The problem was the Union forces were occupying Palmyra at that time of his life. And and there were a lot of skirmishes and outrageous things that were being done by the sympathizers to the Union soldiers that were up in that area. I mean, they they would shoot them from behind the bushes in secret so no one would know who it was that was doing it. They they were doing all kinds of things that that, uh, many indefensible deeds are recorded in some of the local histories up in that that community. And, And... As a result of all that, to avenge those attacks, the federal commander arrested and imprisoned a very large number of civilian citizens, men. They were charged with being guerrillas, and they were tried in a court-martial trial and found to be guilty, and they were all sentenced to death. Now after issuing this condemnation that Willie Lear was even a part of those who were condemned to death, the general decided that he was going to only put to death immediately 10 men. And so they chose 10 men by just casting lots for them. And and, and it really was just a random draw uh, as to who was going to be a part of that initial uh, execution and the general decided that he would reserve the rest of them for later if needed. Maybe there might be a pardon that would come, or if the if the problems continued to arise in the community, they would go ahead and continue to execute more guys. But he didn't want to just kill everybody, but he he numbered it to just ten. These ten Willie wasn't a part of. However, there was a neighbor of Willie's who was. He was a father of a very large family, had 10 children, and he was a poor man. And the thought of this helpless condition in which he would leave his his loved ones began to work on Willie. And so as Willie saw the distress that was taking place that would happen as a result of, of this neighbor's execution, he then went to Colonel John McKean. McNeil, and he offered to take his place. Now McNeil, he didn't really have any objection to that. I mean, he just had to execute 10 men and there was really no reason why it couldn't be Willie or, or, or you know, somebody else. And so as long as the number was secured, it would be okay. And so he permitted Willie to stand in place of his neighbor and be executed. So the neighbor with the deepest gratitude, he also accepted Lear as his substitute. And so by the acquiescence of three parties concerned, there was the representative of the law, there was the one who was condemned by the law, and the one who would be the satisfier of that law by substitution, the matter would be settled. So Willie Lear took the place of his friend on the execution line with the nine other men, and one of of those men who was to be executed, was the one who would say, fire. They were all executed. And Willie fell dead with the others. Now, As the man for whom Willie died looked at the blood and looked at Willie's body there laying before him, what do you suppose he might think? It isn't likely with tears in his eyes that he might say he... He died for me. I owe my life to him, or that, that I, anything I could do to show my my gratitude for what he has done for me. If he were asked how it was it he delivered the sentence that that was hanging over him would likely be ignoring the work that Willie had done for him, I, I don't think it would happen. I, I don't think that this man would have said, oh, by my faith I was saved because I prayed and God stepped in and saved me through, through sacrificing Willie. I don't think that he would say that it was a matter of the good character and the development of his life and the morality of who he was that God saved him. I think what you would see is that he would be so grateful for what Willie had done that his life would be forever changed. And it was. It was. From that point on, this man could never stop talking about Willie Lear and the sacrifice that he made for him and his family. Eventually there would be a monument that would be placed up in Palmyra for these ten men and the sacrifice that Willie had made specifically for this individual would be continued to be talked about for generations. So let me ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? If, I mean, if that's a reality, why are we so silent? Why do we not share that with anybody and everybody that we come across talking about what an individual has done to spare my life so that I don't have to have the penalty not only of death but the penalty of the separation from God for all eternity because of my sins. You see, what Jesus has done for us and, and, and His his ability to sacrifice for us, believing in Him and and we kind of consecrate ourselves to Him, it means we set ourselves apart so that we let the world know of what He has done. I pray we never tire of telling the story of our redemption by the blood of Jesus to anybody. Let us never rob him of the personal glory of being our Savior and our Redeemer. We should never attribute our salvation from our sin because of anything that we've done. But it's all what he has done. I think we greatly err when we think that, that any other gospel or any other form of gospel more, be more successful to reaching men than what Jesus has done. You see, no man can be saved by his own power. But it's only by the power of God that brings salvation. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see, we must if we would see men saved, preach the gospel message. And the meaning of that is this, that as Jesus said, this is my blood, which is shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. This is my body, which is broken for you. May we proclaim his death until he comes. You see, he is worthy of our full trust and our complete faith. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, he writes this. He says, he himself, that is Jesus, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You see, because it's by his wounds you've been healed. Amen. Again, I want to ask you, has anybody ever died for you? Yes. <laughs> yes, Jesus has. And, and, and he took our place on the cross. The nails and the ropes, they could not have held him there. The soldiers could not have forced him to stay there. Nothing could have. If he chose to come down, he would have come down. But he willingly sacrificed his life for you and for me. I mean, that is the answer of it. And in Mark chapter 15, verse 29 through 31, we read, as Mark says, that those who passed by him, they derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests and the scribes, they mocked him to one another, saying, oh, He saved others. <laughs> he cannot even save himself. You see, the mockers meant it as a humorous jest, but for Mark... It condemned a deep theological truth that is written there. Just because Jesus wanted to save others, he would not save himself voluntarily. He would do it God's way, not ours. And so he gave himself so that we could be free from sin. I mean, that all-important incomprehensible logic quickly becomes one of the most basic parts of the church's answer to, to the question of why did Jesus die on a cross? So you and I could live free from guilt, free from shame, free from the, the hold of, of sin and death. It no longer has victory over us because of what he has done. But not only was it a willing sacrifice, it is also a saving sacrifice. You see, the sacrifice of Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 21, For our sake he he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you catch that? For our sake. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. We would become purified. We would become holy because he took all of our sin in his body on that cross. And yet he had that cry of despair there in Mark 15, 34, when he cried out in a loud voice in the ninth hour, and he, he said, Eli, Eli, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, just the awful depths of those words seems unfathomable. There, there's no way we could reach to, to the, where they go. And I wonder, what was it that brought forth from him in his final hours those words that pleading cry and I I ask myself what does it really mean I've read a lot of commentaries this week over this and really there's no agreement he didn't tell us what he meant by it and so subjectively, we've got to insert ourselves into the thoughts of what is it that he means by this? So why was it that, that, that he screams out? Is it that God is now turning his back on him? And is saying, you're no longer my son? I mean, what's happening here? I mean, a lot of people believe that, that he's quoting Psalm 22. Now, I want to challenge you today, when you go home, open up your Bible to Psalm 22 and just read it. Read it at the foot of the cross. All right? And that's it's it's a powerful passage. And he may have been getting those who were there at the foot of his cross to recognize as they look up what is transpiring before their very eyes. You see, if that is the case, I mean, it's a very remarkable, thing that's taking place because he's fulfilling prophecy and prophecy specifically about a crucifixion found in, Mark, or in, in Psalm 22 and it's graphically being played out before their very eyes but still the, the why of that cry I think haunts men It's echoed down through the centuries that there's no immediate reply. It doesn't seem that the angels descended from heaven to take him off the cross. It doesn't seem that they got opened up the, 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 the earth and swaddled up his enemies as he's done in the past. He didn't, he didn't blind the Pharisees or cause Caiaphas who sat as the high priest who bend his knee before his real king and his Messiah. Christ simply died with that awful question, almost seemingly unanswered. But it was answered. Just a couple days later, as a matter of fact. It was answered on Sunday morning when there was a tomb that had a body within it over the weekend that all of a sudden it's emptied and it's gone. And he's not there. He is risen. And from this we learned that the answers to life's most perplexing questions, they don't appear immediately sometimes. Sometimes they may take a few days or they may take a while longer. But God always answers our prayers. And that may not be in the way that we think or the way that we want. But He always answers our prayers. And the forsaken feeling may have entered into the soul of people like Joseph when his brothers sold him into slavery. And there he finds himself in the pit of prison, crying out to God, Why am I here? Why have you turned your back on me? What have I done? I have just communicated what you wanted me to communicate. And then Pharaoh plucks him out and puts him in a position of authority second only to him. It may have been John the Baptist as he heard the grating of his prison door open knowing that his executioner was coming and his head was about to be removed. He may have cried out to God but all Herod heard was the dancing and the music but I think the answer comes that one day we're going to see John that baptizer who who stayed along that Jordan River Valley and we're going to see him in the very presence of God as well You see, at this moment in time, God throws all the weight of his wrath and his punishment upon Jesus. He wasn't turning his back on him, he was recognizing for sure that the penalty for sin had to be paid. And Jesus willingly. Following his father's will was receiving that penalty. Jesus never doubted his father's understanding of what was going on. And and he still maintained his faith in his God. He's calling him my God. And yet the physicalness of that Man knows that the punishment that's going to come in death. But yet, there would be victory. And that victory would be able to secure victory for all of us. So it's a saving sacrifice, and the message of the cross is. Is salvation. And the beauty of of Christ's death on the cross is that it saves us from eternal death ourselves. And, And we will die physically, but we don't have to die in a separation from God for all eternity because of what He did there that moment. And when we accept Christ and we take Him as our own, we will be saved from our penalty of sin, the grave death. But not only did he offer his body as the price for our reconciliation with God but he endured the punishment that was due to us. And so as Isaiah proclaims in Isaiah 53 let's take a look there real quick he lays out the whole reason behind this. He says, He was despised and rejected, beginning in verse 3, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All oh, we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearer is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet, here's the key. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days, and, and will the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, and out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied, and by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. You see, there is no other way for our salvation to be secured. His saving sacrifice was and is all-sufficient. He had to take upon himself our sins and then bear the wrath and the judgment of God. And he had to face it head on. John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that He's the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, what He did on that cross changes everything for you. I mean, literally changes everything for you. Because He wanted To stand in your place. You see, Jesus, He died so you can live. He suffered the pain and the agony of the cruel cross so that you can experience the abundance and the joy and the splendor of life. And He willingly substituted Himself, taking the punishment that was rightfully yours and mine. And And he paid the penalty of God's wrath and judgment, accomplishing God's plan of salvation for us. So his death really is not a defeat, his death is a victory. So, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? Has not Christ conquered death. Yes, he does. And his death brings us victory. There's a Russian fable, as I close, describes a master and a servant who had journeyed to a city and as they were crossing through the, the landscape before the two men could reach the destination, they were caught in a blinding blizzard and it was cold. And, and they lost their direction and they were unable to reach the city before nightfall. The next morning, some of the concerned friends, they went out searching for the two and, and they finally found the master. Frozen to death, face down in the snow. When they lifted him, they found his servant underneath, cold but alive. The servant then told them how he survived and how the master had voluntarily placed himself over him, on top of him, to keep him warm so that he could live. The story kind of reminds me that Jesus, the master who died for his servants, he's the wealthy farmer who. burned all his profits and his crops so the villagers could be saved. He's the soldier who who stood in that firing line to take the penalty of someone else. He's a son of man who died so that you might live. So I want to ask you this. Knowing that Jesus gave His life for you. What are you willing to give for Him? him. He asks that you would just simply put your faith in Him. That you would believe in who He is. That He is the Son of God. That He is the one who has come into this world world as our Redeemer, as our King, that He wants you to to repent of the things that that you've sinned and and say, I I don't want those any longer. And willingly say, they're yours. You you took them to the cross. I don't need them. And I'm not going to continue that way. And repent and and live your life the way He wants you to. you to live. He wants you to confess Him before people around and say that He is Lord, that He is Savior, He is Redeemer, He is King, He is the Son of God, and He's the only way to salvation in heaven. He wants you to die to yourself and live for Him. To unite with His death and His burial and His resurrection by being immersed into His name. I'm going to ask you. Will you consider surrendering yourself to His will today? Letting Him have His way with you. Letting Him be the one that is your Redeemer. You can come forward as we're singing. I'll pray with you. We'll find out where you are in your faith walk. And what we need to do next to get you further along on your journey. My goodness. Accept the gift that He's given you. Don't keep rejecting or turning away or ignoring. Let's stand together. Father, I don't know why it is that you would love us so much because sometimes I think I'm unlovable. I don't deserve your grace. Your goodness. I really don't deserve the sacrifice of your Son upon a cross for me. I know I should pay for the penalty of my sins. And yet you offer it so freely to be forgiven. Father, may this message of what took place on the cross, that Father, we are not forsaken we are redeemed because it's all a part of your plan, a part of what you have done for us. May that be upon our lips. We proclaim the message of the cross to anybody who will listen because we have been saved by someone who took our place. That's in Jesus' name. Amen.